If you'll turn in your Bibles to chap, uh, chapter 13 of Hebrews, we'll start with verse 1. The writer is continuing on in his writing to the, the believers and to us about practical living and how we are to take our faith and live in it and with it. And so he's going to give kind of one sentence type of, this is what we should do, this is what we should do, this is what we should do. And we're going to take a look at three of those uh, this, this time. So chapter 13 of Hebrews, starting with verse 1. Let us, let love of the brethren continue. The advantage here and, and the positive aspect here is notice he didn't say start loving the brethren. So apparently those who he's writing to has been loving the brethren. So that's a good thing. But when it comes to much of what is the Christian faith and what it is that we are practical application, it's easy to either get off track or to stop. So for instance, we can start out loving our brothers and sisters, but then all of a sudden we go, but what about me? What am I getting out of this? How come no one seems to love me the way I love them? And there's a situation that we can be do, weary of doing good and doing the right thing. And so he's encouraging the, the people he's writing to and to us that we are to love one another, but we are to continue in that love. It's not about whether people love us back. It's about doing what God commands. And so I want us to, to think about that. And so if you'll jump over to John chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 15, starting with verse 12. Now, a lot of times people think love means warm fuzzies. And that we're to have this warm fuzzies about each other. That's not what it's talking about. And it's not talking about being... Um, tolerant of everyone but we are to love as god is loved and so in chapter 15 of john it says this this is my commandment this is jesus speaking this is my commandment that you love one another just as i have loved you so jesus doesn't say that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves or to love each other the brothers and sisters as we love ourselves he has placed an even higher command and duty upon us that we are to love each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, the way he loved us. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give it to you. Then he furthers up, this I command you, that you love one another. So Jesus gives us commandments. A lot of times people say, well, we no longer have to live under the Ten Commandments and all the laws, but Jesus has given us a law that we are to follow 
and that is to love one another, each other, not the world, but his as he loved us and gave himself for us and laid down his life for us. Now, in our human capacity, if you will, sometimes it's easier to lay down your life for somebody because it's one act of heroism, courage, and it's done. Sometimes it's harder to continue to love someone day after day, year after year, when that person is unlovable or who doesn't seem to want to reciprocate in that love. And so, yes, we are to love one another so much that we would lay our lives down for each other as Christ did, but also that we would live in that love. And so that's why the writer of Hebrews says we are to continue in love. It's not, well, I've checked that box and now I go on to something else. It is something that we do. Why? Because God is love. If we want to reflect our Father, then we need to be loved. He goes on, we'll come back to Hebrews 13, still in verse 1. I'm sorry, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. I'm going to stop there. So he tells us that we need to not neglect being hospitable to strangers, those people that we don't know. In the Middle Eastern culture, hospitality was, was very much appropriate and in, an, in a quality that people did. Uh, under uh, Genesis, we see, for instance, Abraham oftentimes entertained people. Later, he would know that they were um, messengers from God. But he would do things, he would, for instance, when he says, stay here and let me kill those fatted calves so that we might celebrate. His hospitality wasn't, well, we're having hamburgers today, so you're entitled to have some hamburgers. You're going to know. I might have been planning to do hamburgers, but we're having prime rib. Because you're here and I'm going to be hospitable. I'm going to treat you better than I would treat my own family, if you will, than I treat myself. And we are hospitable. There's even a whole industry called hospitality. Many, many years ago, I, we took our first cruise on a, on a ship, which is kind of unusual because I came from East LA and cruise meant you drove down Whittier Boulevard. But we went on a boat out in the water and that was a cruise. And I was uh, struck by the hospitality because not only did they serve you and, and bring your meals and clean your room and do whatever. But they would say, and it seemed that they generally meant it. It's a pleasure. And their attitude was, what is it that I can do for you? It's a pleasure to serve you. And that's kind of the hospitality that Jesus is talking about here, that we are to be hospitable, that it is not, oh, God, you know, they're coming, there's company, I got to clean the house. No, no. It's a pleasure to do this. Now, after, unfortunately, unfortunately, I've took, taken cruise in many years later, and they would say the same words, but the meaning wasn't there. It wasn't a pleasure. They would say the words, and they would be efficient, and they would do those things, but you could tell it was a job. 
He's saying we're not to neglect hospitality. We are to be hospitable. We are to have that attitude that it is a pleasure to be you, and, and I'm going to do over and above even what I would do for myself. So if I was going to, again, if I'm going to have hamburgers or tacos or spaghetti, I'm going to have the best of whatever it is that I can provide because I value your presence that much. So we need to be hospitable to strangers. Why strangers? Because we don't know who they are. They could be good people. They could be bad people. They could be whatever. But we would then have an influence on them because we have treated them better than we would treat ourselves. We would be hospitable. And in a stranger who was a believer, then we're treated. And I'm going to kind of set that believer part a little bit later because we're going to talk about something else. Or he may be or she may be an unbeliever. But the way you treat them and the way your attitude is towards them, that they may say, you know, their faith is genuine. They don't just pretend to believe in God. They actually do. They seem actually to love people because I, wasn't, I haven't been treated better. You know, it's, it's kind of like in the old days, we would visit relatives and stuff. They would give us our, their bed. They would do things that was like, okay, well, there's the couch. Good luck. It was, they would be hospitable. And again, that's what we are to be. And it's even whether it's family, friends, people we know, or strangers. And then because it's a stranger, he says this. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. So this stranger may actually be a messenger from God. Maybe one that, we, as we think, has wings or whatever, or one who is simply a messenger of God. Somebody who God has sent for us. Now, we've had a couple of instances that I think quite possibly we had an entertained angel. Many, many, many years ago, the, all the windows in this building, the front ones, the side ones out there, were orange. They were so orange that I remember one time there was a wedding and I thought the bridesmaid dress were a beautiful um, navy blue. So we went outside and I saw this forest green. It was, you know, it, it just changed everything and whatever. And, and it was, and just, and it, and it cried out 70s. So we decided to raise some money to replace the windows, which you see they're now opaque clear glass. But we didn't raise enough money to have anybody install them. So we do what churches do. We get a bunch of guys together who have no clue how to put in windows. We try to figure out how to put in windows. Well, one, one, one Wednesday evening, some, some guys came to our, to our service. And they go, you know, what's going on here? We told them, they go, oh, well, we are here and we are doing a project in, in uh, I think it was Newport Beach and we're, we're staying in, in Costa Mesa. We'll come and we'll help you install the windows. And so they helped us install the windows, which praise God they did because they're still there. Because if we'd have done them, it'd be even colder today. Okay. And a little wind blowing. 
And so they came and they put in the windows and we were grateful and they didn't come anymore. And so we wanted to show our thanks. And so a group of guys went down to where they were told us their job was. And the people at the building go, we haven't put any windows in for a long time. So, huh. so then we went to where they said that they were staying. And the manager of the hotel said, no, we haven't had anybody like that. I'm kind of convinced those were angels that we entertained unaware. And then a few years ago, we were going to have a work day. And in this work day wasn't just cleaning the church. We were going to make some repairs. And we had a member who's now gone to be with the Lord, so maybe he knows whether it was an angel or not. Uh, we had a outside, we still have an outside stairway to our fellowship hall, and it's metal. And it was falling apart, and it was a danger, and we had to kind of tape it off and not let anybody go through the door. And so uh, this member decided that he was going to weld those stairs back together to fix them. Well, this member had no clue what to do about welding but that never stopped him from doing anything else. So he went out there and he was trying to do the best he can. And this gentleman came walking by and asked, what's going on? And, he, and this member said, well, I'm trying to weld these things. Well, that's what I do for a living. So he came and he started welding and, and he made the repair done that afternoon and it, and it still worked. And what, I'm not too convinced that if the other person who had, who had tried to do it, He'd still probably have to put a sign and say, don't enter. But it worked. And when he was working, he said, oh, yeah, I, I come down this street every, every day for a walk and, and do these things. And it was great. So we kept about the time and other times to go out there to see so that we could again thank him because he just kind of took off. And he never, ever reappeared. And so I think we have had those experiences. But there is one in, in, the, in the biblical context, again, in, in Genesis, where these angels, true angels, came to Lot's house to do a survey, to do a census. That census was how many righteous men were living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the, and the census needed to be at least 10. So it didn't work out so well. And so while they were there, the men of this town, heard that there were strangers in town. And so they came banging on Lot's door that they might have relations. And because I'm trying to keep this PG, you know what I'm saying. And so they're wanting to have relations with these strangers. And Lot said, no, no, man, act, act right. And, and they kept, and they, he was so hospitable. He offered something that I don't think I could have offered. He offered his, them his daughter because that's how seriously he treated the protection of those people in his home that were strangers. Now, he actually entertained angels, and they prevented him, and they grabbed him back and pulled them and, and protected the family so that they could leave and God do with Sodom and Moreau what he intended to do. But notice how prepared Lot was, and I wouldn't consider Lot the most righteous man of all time. But Lot was willing to sacrifice his own family for the protection of strangers because they were under his 
hospitality. So we are to be hospitable because maybe we might entertain angels and it may, like I said, it may be simply people who have wings or maybe somebody who has something to tell us from God that our other resources won't. You know, it may be that sometimes, okay, I kept trying to get Pastor Joe to get this and he never got it. So I got to send somebody that we'll call Ralph and he shows up at your house and he tells you what God wants you to hear because you're not getting it from other resources. Sometimes angels are messengers of God. They're not the ones with the wings. Even then, we are to treat them as those types of guests that like angels, ministers of God's word. And so we are to treat them with hospitality, not with simply doing an efficient job, not simply saying the word, but genuinely meaning that it is a pleasure to serve. And then he gives one more thing for us to do. And um, this isn't all that he's, next time we're going to look, look at some others, but he's going to instruct us in verse three. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are in the body. Now, this kind of passage somewhat has the meaning, and a lot of people have taken it to mean that you have a prison ministry. And I'm not saying that a prison ministry isn't good and you shouldn't have it, but that's not kind of the emphasis here. The emphasis is that your brother or sister is in prison because of their faith in Jesus. We are to go and visit them because they are part of the body. They are to be there to remember. and as Peter and Paul and other believers were in prison. The church would pray for them. And interesting, they had such a great prayer meeting that when Peter actually showed up, they didn't believe it was him. But, you know, so sometimes it tells you that God answers prayers even if it's not in faith. But, but they're praying. But he's saying it's not sufficient just to pray for them. We're to go and visit. And in today's world, just as like back then, if you are in prison because of your faith, going to visit somebody who's in prison because of their faith will cause you to be at risk. Hopefully, our brothers and sisters, if they are in prison, are in prison for their faith, not for some evil thing that they did. Jesus talks about visitation. And if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 31. He takes visitation pretty um, seriously. It says this, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another. He's not going to separate the Ukrainians from the Russians or the Guatemalans from the Mexicans, he's going to separate them this way. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So he's going to separate those who are his on one side and those who aren't his on another. And it's going to be all the nations. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, so those are the sheep. Those are supposed to be us. Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I, Jesus, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. I was a stranger. And you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will ask for him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to me, to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Jesus is saying, when we clothe, when we feed, when we are hospitable, when we treat, when we bring people in, when we take them to visit them in prison, when we do all those things, even the most inconsequential believer, when you do it to that person, you've done it to Jesus. Now, I want to go back. Remember, it says sometimes we, we uh, entertain perhaps angels unaware. Maybe we entertain Jesus unaware when even we do the least of them. And notice these people didn't do it because they thought Jesus, they were doing it for Jesus. They were doing it for the brothers and sisters, even the least. And Jesus said, when you do it to one another, I count it as if you've done it to me. The king will also answer and say to them, truly, truly, I'm sorry, we'll go on. Verse 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer the Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So Jesus is saying, when you visit the brethren in prison, because they have been in prison because of the faith, you visit me. When you are hospitable, when you treat those as if it were angels unaware or the least of the brethren, you've done it as if unto me. And then when you love, you love as I love, which means you treat one another as Jesus treated them. I know there's a lot of people who like to hear practical application and not doctrine. I like doctrine. 
because it tells me how to think. Practical application is not so easy because I can say, yes, Jesus is the son of God. He created the world, sustains the world, holds the world together. And I go, hallelujah. But he tells me, I'm supposed to take the least, the people who I have difficulty dealing with, and I'm to treat them like Jesus. Give me doctrine. But the practical application is without good doctrine, it messes up the application. But without the application, you're going to, you have worthless doctrine. It's got to be together. What you believe is important, but how you minister because of that belief is important. Notice he didn't say, you had correct doctrine, but you didn't visit me. He goes, no, no. How you behave told me how you believe. Loving one another as he loved you. Being hospitable even to strangers. Because those strangers may be the least or angels or Jesus. And we are to visit those in prison because they are part of the body. And those believers, and we are to be there because someday, we may be there too. We have been fortunate to live in this country for this period of time that allows us to have freedom of religion. But it seems as you look at the world, those days are getting shorter and the areas more restricted. And without getting into the politics of it or whatever, there were those who said we were supposed to shut down churches. For the greater good. For the greater good is eternal life. And so I was willing to go to prison. Because we need to worship the Lord our God. There were those who wanted to have uh, meals. And I go, nah, I'm not willing to go to prison for you to eat. I'm willing to go to prison for you to worship. But we have been fortunate, but there may come a day. When because we have the church open, they send me away. Then you have a very difficult thing to do. Because if you show up, it means, well, Pastor Joe is your pastor. Maybe we ought to put you in jail too. Notice practical application versus difficulty and decision. But the word of God tells us. Visiting Pastor Joe in prison is like visiting one of the least, which means you're visiting Jesus. This is what we live. A statement of faith, but a statement of faith that comes not just from here, but to who we are and what we do, and that our belief and our actions and our behavior are combined. We don't behave this way to become saved. We behave this way because Jesus set the example and we love him and do what he said. This is what we live. This is how we live.
let it continue until we see him face to face. And all God's people said,